Which one would you choose? To see a ghost or to not see a ghost, but know that it sees you? And then we travel to Coffee County, Tennessee to take a look at the story of a local weirdo. Everyone in town knew this guy was nuts, but they had no idea how deeply his dark desires went until the police arrested him for cannibalism. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. We got a lot of stuff to cover, so we're going to go ahead and get started right away. First off, let's give a shout out to one of our Christmas live stream contributors. Christmas, I know it was like six months ago. I got a big list of trying to get through all of this, but there's no rush because all these people are awesome right now. Walking into Dead Rabbit Command is Creole Cosmopolitan. Yeah, come on. Give you a big round of applause as you're walking in. Oh, sweaty. It's still this heat wave going on. Sorry, uh, we'll kick up the AC in Dead Rabbit Command. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. Just help spread the word about the show. That really, really helps out a lot. Creole Cosmopolitan. Let's go ahead and toss you the bunny bicycle. I like this new new thing. It's very eco-friendly. You know, it's a good workout. Creole Cosmopolitan, let's give you the bunny bicycle. And we're going to sit on the handlebars. We're going to sit on the handlebars. We'll sit in the little basket. Got a baseball card stuck in the spokes. Pedal us all the way out. To Tempe, Arizona. In <laughs> this heat wave, <sighs> pedaling us on out. I need to come up with a better sound effect. It's always just the sound of someone panting. Tempe, Arizona. We're going back in time. We're in the early 1900s. And back then on 24th West 5th Street and Mill Avenue was the Mountain Bell Phone Company. This building still exists today. You don't have to have a time machine to enjoy this story. 24th West 5th Street and Mill Avenue was the Mountain Bell Phone Company. It was a two-story building and phone company, right? So back then, like, phones were just invented. It would be like working at Google nowadays. You're like, whoa, dude, this is so awesome. This is brand new technology. You're plugging stuff in and listening in on people's phone calls like you're the operator from Hee Haw. And I'm sure it was fair. I'm sure it was more professional than the Hee Haw lady. But the reason why we're at this building is because the story goes, this is how this legend starts. We Do we know... This young woman's name or any of the details, no. But back in the 1900s, when it was Mountain Bell Phone Company, a young woman reportedly killed herself. She took her life on the second floor of this building near one of the restrooms. Now, fast forward. Fast forward over time, it stops being the Mountain Bell Phone Company. The building changes hands and it becomes a retail shop called Trails. Now, when it's this retail store called Trail, now we're in the modern days. We're no longer in like sepia-toned cowboy hats and hee-haw operators. People have cell phones and people drive cars and stuff like that. We're in modern times. There's a retail store called Trail, and they only use the first story of the building. They had no use for the second floor. But, you know, you're not going to just be like, I don't ever go up there, guys. Knock it down. People reported hearing someone walking around upstairs on this abandoned second floor you'd hear footsteps now there was still a staircase leading up there and sometimes people would go up there i'm assuming you i'm surprised they didn't use it for some sort of storage area and they may have put some stuff up there because people did go up there from time to time to get stuff but 
It, it doesn't say that they are up there every day, or it didn't say how often people are going up there, but you'd hear footsteps coming from up there. At times, you knew there should be nobody up there. Then people would go up there occasionally, and they would see her ghost. They would see her ghost kind of wandering up and down the stairs. Which is terrifying, right? Because this is old building. It's not like you can take the elevator. It, I don't even know how many staircases they have. Probably one. And you're walking up the stairs. Imagine, that's so creepy. Imagine walking up the stairs and getting a box or something like that. And then as you're walking down, you see a ghost walking up the stairs. <laughs> I mean, like, where are you going to go? You can run around in the second story, but that's where she's going. You're trapped. You can't go down the stairs because there's a ghost there. I I consider myself fairly brave when it comes to paranormal. <laughs> you're like, no, Jason, you're the biggest scaredy cat. Monday, you said you were afraid to turn into a tree. Well, that's because that's spooky. But if I was walking down a hall, what would I do if I was walking down a hallway? Because I've seen shadow people and, and demonically possessed people and all that stuff. If I was walking down a hallway and I saw, okay, that's <laughs> I would turn around. I would probably observe it for a while and then I'd get out of there. I don't think I would try walking past the ghost. Maybe if it's a sexy ghost, I might like walk up to it and start hitting it up. Hey, what, what's up? Where you been? But even in those cases, I probably would run away because it's super spooky. <laughs> it's a ghost, right? It's spooky. So. Full body apparition, walking up the stairs. You're trying to walk down the stairs. You are now trying to figure out a way. You're looking for a fire escape to get out. And then imagine if someone sent you to go upstairs and you open the door and you saw her at the top of the stairs walking. I'd be like, dude, I will go get whatever you want up there, but we're going to have to wait a while because I'm pretty sure I just saw a ghost at the top of the stairs. She might turn me into a tree. This happened a few times over the course that Trails was a retail store. Trails is no longer there. Now it's a restaurant called Sun Bar Tempe you'd have this staircase and you would be walking up the stairs or walking down the stairs and you'd see her also walking the stairs. But there are also times, that's creepy enough, right? Because that's affecting you. This this is where I get to, would you rather see a ghost or know a ghost is watching you? A couple times people were upstairs getting stuff, doing whatever they needed to do up there. And when they were coming back down the stairs, they saw the ghost of this woman standing at the bottom of the stairs staring at the door that leads into the first floor. Just staring at it. And this happened so many times, and this was reported so many times, they just boarded up the door leading to the second floor and then completely covered it up. Apparently, it was just a wall at a certain point because you would have... That's terrifying to me. Like, as I'm recording this, you know, I have all these doors around me I'm recording this and imagine that there's a ghost in my bedroom staring at me, but I can't see it. Like, what is really creepier? If I turn and my bedroom door is open and I can see a ghost standing there. It's a sexy ghost. I'll be there in a second, honey. Or to know that it's trying to get to me, but it can't. It's just like waiting and watching. Imagine if behind a closed door near you, there's a ghost. I can hear your voice as you're talking and it's waiting to get to you. Like it's observing you. And this, this, see, this was so unsettling before, you know, the ghost is walking up and down the stairs. They're like, Larry, you still got to go up there and get the new stock. Got to go up there and get those boxes. But when the ghost was just staring at the door downstairs, like plotting or planning or waiting, who knows? Who, see, that's the thing. You don't know they boarded it up. Now, I did go, I didn't actually visit it 
uh, in person, but I did look up Sunbar Tempe online. I like went to Google Earth to kind of take a look at it. It doesn't look like it has a second story anymore. It actually looks like it's a one-story building, but that's the same address. So, I mean, this building was built in the 1900s, and now it's like a a hip dining spot in Tempe, Arizona. I don't think they wanted to have a big rectangular building that's the color beige. So they may have actually eventually torn it down. But one thing we've learned over the course of this show is that just because you tear down a location doesn't mean the ghost goes away. There's tons of reports of mansions being burned down. We've done stories where a second floor of a building, it was like a college, I think it was the third floor of a dormitory, was knocked down, and people can still hear the ghosts, but it's like 10 feet in the air, like above the roof of the sea. Above the, if you're on the roof, you can hear the voices coming from above you somewhere. Just because the phenomenon, just because the building is destroyed doesn't mean the phenomenon's gone. However, I did not see any online ghost reports about Sunbar Tempe. But if you're in the Tempe area, we got listeners all over the world, and I'm always so grateful for that. You guys are amazing. And if you do happen to be in the Tempe area, go to, this this was a stealth ad. This whole thing was leading up to Sunbar Tempe, the hippinest, hoppinest place in Tempe, Arizona. If you want to be like me, Dead Rabbit, hop on over to Sunbar Tempe and order the new drink. Order order the Possessed the Goblet. It's all smoky and stuff. You'll drink it, and it's so strong, you'll wish you were dead. Sunbar Tempe in Tempe, Arizona. Dead Rabbit, I've never been there. Their food may suck. I don't know. Maybe it's the best place to go. But anyways, go there and see if there's ghosts. That's what I do when I go to places. I go... Hey, is this place haunted? I do it all the time. And people with me are like, oh my God, because they know I'm going to bring it up. And people are constantly like, yeah, there's a Thai house restaurant called Thai house here in Hood River haunted. There's like a little girl upstairs because it used to be a house. Then they turned it into a restaurant. Andrew's Pizza downtown. I have a bunch of friends who work there haunted. They, They named the ghost Tabitha. Used to be a dance studio, which we know, again, in the world of paranormal, very, very common, very, very common to have theaters and dance studios and places of the arts to be haunted. I actually want to start doing some on-the-ground ghost hunting with my friend Molly in town again. It's been years since I've done on-the-town ghost hunting, but that should be fun. We'll talk more about that when when I'm actually doing that, but yeah. I ask when places are haunted, hey, is this place haunted? So yeah, I do that. I mean, even if I don't know anyone who works there, like as they're bringing me my check, I'm like, hey, is this place haunted? You, it doesn't hurt to ask. They've already served you your food. They can't spit in it. But yeah, so if you happen to be in the Tempe area, check out Sunbar Tempe and ask, hey, is this place haunted? And then your waitress is like, no, of course not. And then you tip her and then she walks away. She walks up a set of invisible stairs and then your real waitress shows up. She's like, uh, where's my money? And you're like, no. Sunbar Tempe, the only place where a ghost will steal your tips. Creole Cosmopolitan, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carboner Copter. We're leaving behind Sunbar Tempe. We have full bellies from their delicious meal, be it breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Sunbar Tempe, the only restaurant you should ever go to. Fly us out of here. We're headed all the way out to Coffee County, Tennessee. Don't actually go there for breakfast. I don't know when the place is open. You're like, what? Jason told me you guys served breakfast. 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 They're like, what Where are all of these people coming here all of a sudden? I traveled from around the world. I'm from El Salvador just to eat some steak and eggs. We're headed out to Coffee County, Tennessee. We're headed back to the year 2014. 
It's June 6th, 2014, and there's a liquor store in town, and waiting for a ride is Lisa Marie Heider. She's 36 years old, and she's a mother of six. Her life has not been easy. Things have been really hard. She struggled with alcoholism for a long time. And that is not only a debilitating mental strain, but a debilitating physical strain. And she's having all of these emotional problems and alcohol problems. And like what often happens in the world of alcoholics is that the family loves you and they will always love you. But at a certain point, they got to back off. They got to say, listen, I love you and I'll always be here for you, but I won't be here for you. I, I, this is just too much of a strain on us. And that's what's kind of going on in her life. She's married to a man named Charles and she'd been married to him for six years. And in this time period, June 6, 2014, he's like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I can't be a part of an alcoholic's life. And to make things worse, she, she worked at a liquor store, which I just, I mean, that just sounds like the worst combination. And recently she had been told by her doctors that she had ovarian cancer. So she has ovarian cancer. She has six kids to take care of. She's recently gotten divorced, a marriage that lasted for six years. And she refuses treatment. She tells the doctors, I don't want to do any of the chemo. I don't want to do any of the treatment. And the doctors say, listen, you got six months to live. Like, that's our estimate. They, 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 sometimes they're wrong, right? Sometimes they're wrong. It's not like they actually can see an expiration date on you. It's kind of a guess. Some people live way past that. In her case, though, the doctors do say you have six months to live if you're going to refuse treatment. And, you know, they understand why people don't do the treatment because it can be very taxing on the body. And she's making her peace with this, right? And her, even though her and Charles are divorced, Charles said, you know, I still helped her out. Because he, he loved her, right? They still loved each other, but they just couldn't be together. Charles couldn't do it anymore. And you, I understand that. I think most of us can understand that. Well, on June 6th, 2014, Lisa called up Charles and says, hey, I need a ride home. I'm at the liquor store. I need a ride home. And Charles is actually in another state doing a job, but I'll be there around 4.30. She's calling pretty early in like the mid-morning. And he goes, it's about a five-hour trip. I'll be there by 4.30 p.m. And she goes, yeah, sure. Okay, you know, I can wait. You can come pick me up. Well, later that afternoon, Charles calls her cell phone and it goes straight to voicemail. He's like, is the phone turned off? Did you shut it off or something like that? But again, when you're dealing with someone who suffers from alcoholism, they can be a little erratic. But she's not at the liquor store. She's not there to be picked up. And again, maybe she walked. Maybe someone else gave her a ride. I don't know. And the fact that Charles was a couple hours away, the fact that he couldn't get there until 4.30 p.m. that day haunts him to this day. He said, quote, I still blame myself because I didn't go get her. But I was down in Huntsville, Huntsville, Alabama. I was down in Huntsville unloading my truck, and I wish I could have been there a little bit faster. Usually I rescue her every time something goes wrong. Let's take a look at another resident of Coffee County, Tennessee. A man everyone knew in town as a 
big old weirdo. This wasn't one of those, oh, he was a nice, quiet guy and never suspected it. This is one of those, oh yeah, that <laughs> that makes sense. This seems like the type of guy who would do something like this. This man's name is Gregory Hale. Back in 2014, he's 37 years old. He's living with his parents. His parents had had it. They, they were both retired. They owned this house. And Gregory Hale lived with them. Had a girlfriend, had a kid, and had very, very bizarre hobbies, to put it lightly. He worked at a local meat plant, a local meat packing plant. So he's like sitting there and there's like meat coming down a conveyor belt and he's like stamping it and wrapping it up and touching it, rubbing it all over his skin. And they're like, Gregory, you're supposed to, you're not even supposed to be in this part. You're in human resources. Why are you in, why are you in the meat assembly line? He worked at this meat packing plant and everyone there knew he was a total freak. Everyone there thought this guy was a weirdo. He would smuggle, just from the way that he talked, just from the way that he looked, he's one of those guys that has a large collection of knives. He would take Facebook photos of him, like, dressed in all black with a red tie and a bone sword. And then he had the same outfit. He's, like, wearing, like, New Balance shoes and black jeans and a black shirt and then a slipknot mask. And he's holding this bone sword. He's standing in front of, like, a garage. Like, not a cool, spooky garage from Dead by Daylight. Like, your grandma's garage. Like, the garage on a house. Just like a normal tract house. It's lame, right? He did all this stuff. He would post stuff on Facebook saying, I like to hug the people I hate so I know how big to dig the hole in my backyard. You know, like, I... What's so funny is that I've seen stuff like that a hundred times. From a hundred tryhards, right? People trying to be like all goth and edgy and stuff like that. I will say that this guy does turn out to be the real deal. Even though I'm kind of rolling my eyes at, whoa, look how edgy that is, man. He actually does. <laughs> the reason why we're talking about an true crime podcast is because he does walk the walk. He'd post jokes like, if you ate a vegetarian... Would they taste? This is actually kind of funny. I'm trying to read it without laughing. He goes, if you ate a vegetarian, would they taste like soy? Like soy meat? Like Impossible Burgers? Okay, that's kind of funny, funny, right? I would have given that a little thumbs up or laughing emoji. But he would talk about stuff like that. And he'd post pictures of Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, with captions that said, Wish I could have met you. And the biggest crime there is that he spelt you with just the letter U, right? I don't think Richard Ramirez was into emoji talk. But anyways, wish I could have met you. He talked a lot about Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, serial killer back in the 70s, California, late 70s. He would often get caught stealing from the meatpacking plant. Now, you can imagine some people are like, oh, dude, I really need to eat today. I'm going to take home this pound of prime rib. You probably get fired for that. He was stealing bones and eyeballs. And I'm sure that the manager was kind of like, well, it's not like we're going to use those anyways. (laughs) That's Oscar Mayer plant down the road. That's how they make their hot dogs. But here, what am I going to do with an animal bone or an eyeball? So sure, if this guy wants to take home a bag of eyeballs each day, I mean, it's weird, right? They knew it was weird, but I don't think they were really punishing him. But he does get fired. Eventually, the manager does get Tired of this dude's antics, but not for stealing animal waste. Not for posting bizarre stuff on Facebook. Not for worshipping Richard Ramirez. Worse! What? <laughs> Everyone knew about 
all that stuff and he's still going to get fired. One day, th- this is a fireable offense. And maybe in America, you could probably, well, this wasn't America. You probably could have had a civil rights lawsuit over this for the First Amendment. One day, the boss walked in to work and there is Gregory Hale with animal guts performing a satanic ceremony at work. And the boss is like, nope, I'm done. <laughs> if the ACLU wants to take this to the lawsuit, I'm willing to fight that battle. I'm not going to allow you to try to summon the Dark Lord at work using all this blood and animal guts that happen to be laying around. You're fired. You are no longer working here. Now, you can imagine, like, this must have been his dream job, right? This dude loves serial killing, and he's in a place like his Willy Wonka chocolate factory. He walks in, there's blood everywhere. He's, he's, like, dancing on a pile of eyeballs. He's juggling them. He has a cane made out of a bone. This would be awesome for a sicko. <laughs> there's a bunch of people listening to this at a meatpacking plant right now. They're like, shut it off. He just insulted our entire profession. They're throwing blood at the Bluetooth speaker. Gregory Hale is fired from the meatpacking plant. And you know what? He's whatever. He's just kind of gliding through life anyways, right? Well, on June 6th, 2014, Gregory Hale pulls up outside of a liquor store in Coffee County, Tennessee, and sees Lisa Marie standing there. And they chat for a while, and she talks about waiting for a ride. And he goes, hey, you know what? I can give you a ride home. Not a problem. She's like, you sure? He's like, yeah, yeah, hop in. Take you on out there. June 9th, 2014. So three days later. And just to show, okay, so she has now disappeared. And it doesn't really say in the article that there's a big manhunt for her. She was supposed to be picked up on June 6th. It's three days later. She's disappeared. And this is one of the problems with someone who has like drug and alcohol problems, right? Is because they act in erratic ways. When they go missing for a couple days, it's not the same thing as if you went missing. Like, let's say you go, you have like a good attendance at work. You're always there on your Monday starting your shift at the meatpacking plant. You're like, oh, I want to get the freshest eyeballs. I got to get there nice and early. When you go missing, when I go missing, I have like really good attendance, right? And so when I stop showing up to work, I get a phone call. Like, where are you? The search for me would start almost immediately. But, you know, when you have someone who's suffering from it, she probably has just not shown up to work and things like that. They may have been looking for her, but we don't know about that. And the reason why that's important is because there's a chance that Gregory could have gotten away with this. Because it was completely random that he drove up to that liquor store. And random crimes are very, very hard to solve. I'm not saying that he never would have got caught, but it's possible. But on June 9th, 2014, now we're near the town of Manchester, Tennessee. Gregory Hale is chatting with his neighbor. And he's like, hey, yeah, what's going on? How's everything going? And they're like, oh, things are going good with me, Gregory. Have you found a new job yet? And he's like, no, apparently I went to the bank hoping it was a blood bank. I put it in my application. It was a regular bank. What do you expect me to do there? And the... The neighbor's like, dude, I'm your Facebook friend. I know what you post. Maybe you should just try getting a normal job and posting minions on your Facebook page instead of love poems to serial killers. Anyways, Gregory Hale's talking to his neighbor, and Gregory goes, hey, you know what? I was wondering if you could help me with something. And neighbor's like, yeah, sure. You know, what do you need? And Gregory Hale goes, could you help me dispose of a body? 
And at first the neighbor thinks that he's joking, right? People say stuff like that all the time. But the neighbor starts to realize that, oh, Gregory's not joking. Like he's actually asking me if I can help him dispose of a body. He contacts the police. It's so funny because if you think about people who would say that to you in your life, hey, you want to help me dispose of a body? A lot of times you would think it was a joke. But this guy knew Gregory's reputation and knew this guy wasn't joking. He was being dead serious. He called the police. The police show up at Gregory's location. And again, I don't even know if they know Lisa Marie's missing at this point. They may have. It's been three days, but who knows? They show up at Gregory's house and they find the dismembered remains of Lisa Marie. And she was chopped up in such a way that there were two plastic buckets full of different parts of her and her torso was on a burn pile. It's very hard to burn a body. My dad used to have a crematory. My summer job for a while was going down there, helping him out. It takes a lot. It's an extreme amount of heat it takes to reduce a human body to ash. A lot of people think, ah, you know, just like a marshmallow, throw it on a fire. Uh Uh-uh. I know you guys see in those Viking movies, they burn them on the pyre. You're watching The Northman. They're just constantly burning. (laughs) Everyone gets killed in that movie. They're constantly burning bodies. And as a religious thing, sure, but to actually reduce it to ash, there's no evidence left. It just doesn't... You can do it, but it takes a lot of heat. Now, when they the police show up, like they, they find this stuff before they're even talking to Gregory. They show on the property and they see these two buckets of human remains. They're just kind of like sitting out in this torso on the burn pile. And they go into the house and Gregory is taking a nap. He was completely unconcerned that he asked his neighbor if he could help him bury a body. He's like, oh, well, guess he doesn't want to help me bury a body. That made me sleepy. And it is after the police wake him up from his nappy time, he confesses that he killed Lisa Marie. And he fully reveals to the officers that not only did he kill Lisa Marie, not only did he dismember her, but he ate parts of her as well. Now, he says that during this whole time, the kidnapping the murder, the cannibalism, there was a satanic ritual performed. And there's no details in any of the articles of what the ritual was. I have a feeling this guy was a YouTube Satanist. So he's one of those guys that just watches a couple YouTube videos and think he knows all of the esoteric knowledge out there that involves Satan worshiping and Lucifer and the dark ones. I I, I don't think he really knew what he was doing. He probably just painted. I don't know why he painted. I'm painting this guy as a try-hard loser, but, and he is. I'm not saying that he's exceptional because he murdered someone. He's not. He's a monster, but there's a lot of try-hards out there in the world of Satanism. Really, in every religion, but they kind of stick out in Satanism because they're just doing the try-hard type of stuff. Dressing in all black clothes they got at Kmart and holding a bone sword they bought online and somehow that's supposed to make them these edgy people. So I don't know if this guy actually performed a ritual that was written down in the dark grimoires from the 1500s or if he just saw something on YouTube and thought that looks cool and painted a pentagram. Again, it doesn't really matter. He did murder and eat a woman. And uh, yeah, he just, he was so, there's a classification the FBI uses for serial killers. Now, this guy's only killed one person, but it's he probably would have killed more had he been a little smarter. It's called they have an organized killer, which would be someone like Ted Bundy, who plans everything out. And then they have a disorganized killer, 
which is someone like the vampire of Sacramento, who was walking around breaking into people's houses. He actually wasn't really technically breaking in. He'd walk up to your house, and if your door was unlocked, this was back in the 1970s, if your door was unlocked, that was God giving him permission to murder everyone in the house. I had a really good friend of mine in college. He was in the neighborhood where the vampire of Sacramento had eaten a baby, walked in and killed a woman, and the woman was babysitting and ate a baby, drank all of the baby's blood. And uh, he said uh, that happened. He goes, I actually, it was, if I remember correctly, there was a babysitter and her son, like, I'm trying to remember the details. There was a babysitter. There was like a six-year-old boy that was the babysitter's son. And that woman was watching an infant at the time. And my buddy went over to the house to see if the kid wanted to go play. Because it was a friend of his. Hey, you want to go play? And he knocked on the door and no one came into the door. And he goes, I guess my friend's not home. And he left. And it turns out that while he was knocking on that door, the killer was inside the house. And when the cops get to the house, they um, find the dead mom, they find her dead kid, and they are not even looking for a baby at that point. Someone came up and goes, oh my God, is my baby okay? And the cops are like, uh, because there was no baby there. He was actually the vampire of Sacramento. I forgot what his, his name was. Let me look it up real quick. Richard Chase. Richard Chase. If I remember correctly, he was caught like walking down Watt Avenue covered in blood. And he had a the remains of a baby in a bucket, just like sitting in his house. And and the FBI has studied him as a disorganized serial killer because he didn't plan anything out and he really wasn't thinking, oh, I might get caught. So he just walked around covered in blood, walk in and out of houses, and he took the baby with him and, and, and ate it, ate a good portion of it and drank its blood and all that stuff. So that's what I would classify Gregory as well, a disorganized serial killer because he just had the body. You go, he was trying to dispose of the body. He had the body parts just in buckets and uh, Lisa Marie's heart, he threw it over into a neighbor's yard and landed in her garden. Like, obviously, you're going to find, I mean, <laughs> obviously you're going to notice that doesn't belong here. That looks like a human heart. So very, very disorganized in his way he was doing it. I mean, luckily, right? Luckily he was an idiot. And it turns out, right, this wasn't a spur-of-the-moment thing, as the police are investigating him and all that. He revealed that for a long time he had fantasized about killing and eating someone. This guy's a father, too. Remember at the beginning, this guy lives with his parents, or lived in his parents' home. Maybe they weren't there. I think they probably would have been a little alarmed at his antics, but he lived at his parents' home. I believe they all lived together, but that some of the details in the story I couldn't verify. But he does have a child of his own. He has a girlfriend. He had spent years fantasizing about killing and eating somebody. And he had actually practiced stalking women before. He would follow women around. And he would fantasize about how it would be to capture them and kill them and eat them. That was always his desire. And when he drove up to this liquor store and saw Lisa Marie waiting for a ride, it was just a crime of opportunity. He goes, here's my chance. She got in the car and he didn't take her home. He took her back to his house. So he's been sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. He's already in the prison system. They'll never let him out. That's the story of Gregory Hale and his victim, Lisa Marie Heider. What a terrible, tragic story, right? 
I mean, she knew she didn't have much longer to live. She knew that she had only been given six months, but that's six months she could have spent with her kids. That's six more months on Earth. But she never would have guessed that she wouldn't die from cancer, but that she would be eaten. She would be killed and eaten as part of a satanic ceremony. And the scariest thing about this story is we know, we know that Gregory Hale, although rare, is not one of a kind. I mean, I just, off the top of my head, were rattling off facts about the vampire of Sacramento, Richard Chase. People who fantasize about eating people, and doing it. People who fantasize about killing people and eating them, and getting away with it. You know, this guy luckily got caught. But how many others are out there not only already doing this and getting away with it, but just also the young men sitting around fantasizing about this? How many cannibals? <laughs> how many cannibals have we covered on this podcast? A lot. A surprising amount of cannibals. I'll put the episodes in the show notes. I don't want to hear those. I didn't even want to hear this one. Insane. Absolutely terrifying to think that there are other people out there like him right now fantasizing about eating people. And some of them may have already taken that step. How do you protect yourself? How do you protect your loved ones against a man who has spent years fantasizing about killing them, killing you? Like we just go about our day and we have our safety radar on right we're kind of aware of our environment to a certain extent and watching for trouble maybe we keep some sort of self-defense item on us but there's someone behind me who spends day after day after day after day of what it would be like to kill and eat me someone who's run every scenario through their head if the person does this i'll do this if the person says that i'll say this the person tries to run, I'll do this. If the person runs and falls, I'll do that. And they've played out all these scenarios in their head and they're sexually aroused by it. I'm expecting to fight insane homeless people and dumb kids who don't understand that they shouldn't pick a fight with an adult. Some teenager mouthing off. Like, that's where my fight experience comes from, basically. Drunks. Stupid teenagers and crazy people. Like, just, you know, like, not not this crazy. Random violence is the type of fights that I've been in. And that's the type of fights that I expect. And that's the type of fights I know how to, if not win, survive. But I've never gone up against someone who spent day after day after day after day trying to eat me. Stalking me. Observing me. And then going home and sexually fantasizing about what it would be like to eat me. Right now, there's a listener on this podcast. He's like, oh, man, you totally, we have a soul bond. That's exactly what I want to do. It's like, how do you fight against something? How do you fight against someone who's obsessed with this level of depravity? It's terrifying to think about. So we don't. We try not to think about it. We just go on with our lives. But people like Gregory and people like Richard Chase exist. And while those people have been caught, how many more are out there? 
watching you, stalking you, fantasizing about you. And each day, their hunger grows. And at that point, you're not fighting a man. You're fighting a monster. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.